I am going to be capping off the Grow series we've been going through. It's been a pretty cool series. I think all of us have really learned how to um, grow here in this community. Uh, we look at ourselves as, as plants or as trees. And uh, what's the purpose of a, of a fruit tree, for instance? It's to grow fruits. And I think that's, that's what we've been seeing. We've been seeing fruits in people's lives. I know in our community group um, in JVC, we've seen such amazing fruits in the people. It's just been such an awesome time. So my preach today is renewing your mind. Why the mind? Why is the mind important in this whole thing of renewing the mind? Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It doesn't say be transformed by the renewing of your heart. It doesn't say be transformed by the renewing of your circumstances or of anything, but it says your mind. Why is that so important? I'm just going to push my little timer here so that I don't bore you guys to death. Cool. All right, so to answer the question, what we have to do is we have to look at the mind. I'm just going to dig into what people have come up with over the years as to what our mind is and how it works. Um, basically, it's a tricky one, right? When someone says to you, what is the mind? What do you, what, do you, what do you say? Is it your brain? It's not really your brain. Your brain is part of it, and it kind of is like the, the center behind it. But what exactly is your mind? It's kind of this place that we all have that's connected to us. It's, it's very strange. Um, and a man by the name of Sig Sigmund Freud um, has, I'm sure you've all heard of him, Freudian slips. Oh, there he is. He's quite a serious looking guy. I try to find a happier picture of him, but they don't exist. Apparently he was, he was a great psychologist, but not very good with photos. Anyways, so he was an Austrian psychologist, and he came up with this this model of what our mind is. And basically what he says is our mind is made up of three parts. I think I have a little picture there, yeah. So they used a triangle. I don't like a triangle picture for this, so I just made it a circle. Um, and you can see on the outside there's consciousness or our conscious part of our mind that makes up a very small portion. Then there's the subconscious and the unconscious. So Sigmund Freud said our minds are made up of these three parts. Um, it's an oversimplification of a very complex subject. The mind is very complex. I think all of us know that. Um, but it does help us make sense of it all, and it kind of really helps with what I want to say today to understand how this works. Cool, so you have the three parts. The first part is the conscious part. As you can see, it only makes up about 10% of the mind. And when you think about something, it's here that those thoughts are displayed to you. Kind of picture your mind as like a, like a computer monitor. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening in the background, um, well, sorry, picture your consciousness as a computer monitor. There's a lot of stuff happening in the background, but really what we're seeing in our minds is, is, that, is that screen. It's like, a, it's like a computer monitor that we, we can see. Um, it's also here that we imagine things, and it's here that we focus on things. Um, so when you are reading, when you are doing something, you are actually activating that conscious part of your mind. The second part of your mind is your subconscious. This is the important part. This is the one that I want to focus on today. Anyways, this is where all the hard work is done in your mind. It's here that the processing of information takes place. Our minds receive up to 2 million bits of information every second. That is insane. There's all kinds of stuff coming in at, at you, even right now. Um, my voice, which may be putting some of you to sleep, which may be irritating some of you, it's coming at you. You have something to do with that. How does that become... How, do, how are you aware of that? It's through your subconscious telling you, listen to this, but don't focus on the AC, or don't focus on your temperature, or don't focus on how, 
how much pressure there is in the room. Don't focus on where you're sitting. Don't focus on the person next to you. There's all kinds of stimulation coming into our minds, lights. There's, there's millions of things, literally up to two million per second that's coming in. And it's our subconscious that deals with this. Imagine if you didn't have a subconscious and you had to actually deal with two million inputs every second in your consciousness. Imagine you had to actually think about two million things every second. It, it's just not possible. There's no ways that we would be able to survive as humans with, with that amount of information coming into us. So that's what our subconscious does. Um, yeah, so basically it allows us to, to concentrate and, and imagine things without being overwhelmed. Um, and it's also where our decisions are formed. So this is kind of what I'm wanting to focus on, is this decision-forming part. Uh, before we get there, let's quickly just jump into the unconscious. I'm not going to speak too much about this, but this is the reason I put it in the middle is because it's kind of deeper. It's like deeper in, in the mind. People say the recesses of your mind. It's kind of deep back there. It's where all your, your memories and your past experiences, it's kind of like storage. It's kind of like a storage place for your mind. I don't want to get too much into it, but it helps your subconscious. sort of feeds its information from your past as, as we go about. So let's go back to the subconscious part. Go back to the, the one with the three layers. Yeah, that one. All right, I'm going to do something quickly. Okay, did everyone see what I just did? Do you want me to do it again? Oh. All right, so that's the subconscious in action, what you just saw now. Ryan didn't really have to think about it. He didn't have to quickly go on Google and say, how do I catch a ball? He didn't have to process too much information in his consciousness. I just threw the ball, and his mind went, I've been here before. I've done this before. This is something that I've done many times, hopefully. He caught it pretty well. I didn't do it so well, so maybe I need to practice some more. Um, but yeah, we just witnessed Ryan's subconscious in action. His, sub his subconscious already had all the answers. He was able to do this because of a pre-existing framework. This is basically what I want to talk today, talk to, to you guys about today. This pre-existing framework that all of us have. He doesn't have to relearn the action of catching a ball. It's already there, waiting to be used, and it's part of his, his mental framework. We all have one. We all have a framework by which we live. It's part of us. And it's built up over the years through experiences, recurring thoughts, decisions, and emotions. And it's there to help our minds filter information and make decisions quickly and efficiently. That's, that's what it's there to do. You need to make a decision quickly. Ryan had to make a decision quickly. As I threw that ball at him, he was like, ah, and he caught it. What, there wasn't too much thought involved in that. It was right there because it had been part of his framework for a while. Am I feeding back? I'm good. Cool. So it could be a ball thrown at us. It could be a stranger knocking on your window while you're waiting at a red light. Depending on where you're from, if you're from South Africa, you might get a bit of a fright from that. If you're from Dubai and you've grown up here your whole life, you might be like, oh, someone needs my help. It's all part of your framework. Could be a um, co-worker at work, bad-mouthing your boss. What do you do with that information? How does your framework tell you to respond to that? Um, it could be something you read on Facebook. We all have different responses to that. Sometimes you see something that offends you and you feel you have to comment on it right there and say, how dare you? Or, you know, this, this is just the kinds of things that our framework helps in, in, in life. It helps us make decisions based around these inputs. So all these things are filtered through our framework. And depending on who you are and what kind of experience you've had, you will respond very differently to each one of these. 
Every decision we make, every response we have, every thought we think is filtered through this framework. It determines how we see the world, our worldview. It determines how we see ourselves or our identity. And it even determines how we see God. This framework is telling you stuff all day. And it's, and it's telling you how to make decisions without you even realizing. It is far from perfect, and it definitely needs renewing. <clears throat> okay, so in order to... Well, sorry. In order to renew our framework, we need to understand how it is formed or how it comes about. How does it, how does it get there? So we know it's our experiences with Ryan. I threw the ball. He's experienced that before. There's other things, though. What about the culture we grew up in or the culture we're part of now? You know, what about how we were raised as kids? How does this affect this framework that we have? Or what about how we were taught at school? What our, what our, what our school teachers were teaching us? Or what our parents were teaching us? Or what our friends taught us? You know, all of these things play a big role in forming this framework. But I think one of the biggest things that form our framework is repetition. The more you do something, the stronger that part of your framework gets. The more Ryan catches a ball, the stronger it gets. Think about driving a car. Put your hands up if you can drive a car. There we go. Most of you. A lot of us have learned how to drive a car. Do you remember the first time you tried? Do you remember how overwhelming that was? Do you remember sitting behind that wheel and whoever was teaching you, your father or a driving instructor, they were giving you all these things. Okay, so this is where the gears are. This is how the clutch works. This is how the accelerator works. This is how the brake works. And, and some of us freak out. Some of us might crash. You stall the car. You're like, ah, oh, how do I turn? And there's so many things flying in at you all the time. But now, after doing it for a few years, you don't even have to think about it. It's totally second nature now. We're driving. We're daydreaming. We're like maybe even falling asleep behind the wheel, you know? We really just, it just becomes part of you. It becomes like walking. And this is basically that repetition that I'm speaking about. We now have a framework for driving. So when we get behind the wheel of a car, that framework kicks in, we know how to drive. Here's another thing, which is scary and awesome at the same time, is that we don't actually have to physically do anything in order to reinforce this framework. So... I mean, obviously, to start the process, maybe you do, but to reinforce it, it's not always the case. Think about Formula One drivers. A lot of us love Formula One. I used to. Nigel Mansell and all those guys from the past. Now I don't really know who's who. But what they do, and I don't know if any of you have seen this, they, once they've learned to track, once they know how to, you know, how to drive the track, they actually sit by themselves, close their eyes, and visualize it. And they drive around that track over and over and over again in their minds. They, they close their minds and they think about how deep into the corner they have to go. They think about when, when do I you know, engage the accelerator, when do I engage the brake, all this kind of stuff. And basically what they're doing is they're reinforcing that framework. They're, they're reinforcing the thoughts of driving that track. So when they get there, they've practiced. They've practiced this thing. Um, there's a really cool example of this. Uh, these, I don't know, scientists somewhere at some point in time did this experiment and I read about it. They used basketball to prove this point. So it was a theory at one point, but what they did was they took three groups of people and they, they said, okay, first group, uh, they, and all of them had to shoot hoops for a certain amount of time. So let's say 50 times. They had to shoot 50 hoops. So each group was marked according to how many of those they got in. Then they were sent away for 20 days. And in that 20 days, the first group was told, practice all the time. Practice every day. Just keep practicing get better at shooting hoops. So they did. They went home, they practiced. The second group was told, don't do anything. Don't practice. 
um, just sit around and when you come back we'll, we'll see what's happened. And the third group was told to practice in their minds. They were told to literally imagine shooting hoops. They were told, hey, those hoops that you missed, imagine getting them in this time. Make little adjustments and all that in your imagination. Shoot some hoops and we'll see what happens when you come back. Well, I think you can see where I'm going with this, but when they returned, the first group, who was told to practice normally, they had improved by 24%, which makes sense. You practice for 20 days doing something, 24% increase, cool, that's pretty good. The second group was told not to practice at all, well, their, their score didn't improve. It's a no-brainer. But interestingly enough, the third group who was told to only practice in their minds, to use their imaginations, their score improved by 23%. They didn't do anything, but somehow they reinforced that that, that motion of shooting, shooting hoops, and they ended up actually improving their ability to play basketball just by thinking about it. It's pretty crazy. But why is this important? Why am I talking about it? You know, maybe some of us already knew this. What's, what's the big idea? Well, basically, the same thing happens with our thoughts. The more you dwell on a certain thought pattern, the more it becomes part of your framework. So if you think about that, cool, you, if you dwell on something good, it reinforces good thinking in your framework. If you dwell on something negative, what's it going to do? It's going to actually add that negativity to your framework. <clears throat> let's, let's think of something that can relate to us. What about our jobs? Some of us love our jobs, some of us not so much. But if you constantly think about how much you hate your job, it eventually becomes part of your framework and you start to fall to laugh through it. You start speaking to people, they're like, hey, how's it going? How's your day? And you're like, ah, oh, well, was okay, you know. Wow, what's wrong? Oh, you know, it's just my job. I'm really lame, you know, it enters into your conversation, your relationships start to take a little bit of strain from it, you know, you're always talking to your spouse or your family saying how much you hate your job, um, it, it starts to like kind of get into all different parts of your life, it even gets into your prayer life, and, and you know, I've been guilty of this in the past before as well, where I'm like, oh God, you know, I just, I just need something new, I just want something fresh, I just really need this new thing to give me this happiness, you know, I'm not, I'm not enjoying it. And I understand that there genuinely are horrible jobs out there. I get that. Um, and God wants us to be happy, obviously. But there's a lot of us who are actually sort of just looking for the negative, or we're finding the negative, or we're holding on to the negative, and we're reinforcing that thought pattern. Um, we, we're causing ourselves to actually filter our whole lives through this negative perception of work or this negative perception of our job. So what can we do about these patterns? You know, as Christians... You know, we're supposed to be different. Uh, the world will say, oh, positive thoughts, you know. The world probably agrees with a lot of what I've been saying up until now. They probably say, yeah, sure, like, yeah, that makes sense. So you just need to think positively rather than think negatively. Reinforce positive positivity. And yes, they're right, but I don't think it's enough. Um, you know, can we be salt and light but complain all day? Can we believe in the Prince of Peace but live with constant anxiety? Can we love our neighbor but live as if he doesn't exist? Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, what is, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. There it is right there in the Bible. You know, so it's not just this new agey kind of thing. It's not just a... You know, Buddha telling you that you need to censor yourself. Cool, so how do we do this as Christians? Is it just positive thinking? 
it isn't. I have some, a few points on how we do this. How do we renew our minds as Christians? Um, the first thing in renewing our minds is understanding who we are. If we know who we are, it's going to start filtering down into the rest of our lives. We are united with Christ. I think this is a very important thing in understanding your mind because being united with Christ, the Bible says we, we have the mind of Christ. You know, Paul writing to, I think it's the Corinthians, he says, we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? We are united with Christ. His thinking needs to start become our thinking. When we are saved, we are made new, and we become united with Christ and receive his spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's through the spirit that we have a relationship with God, and it's through the same spirit that we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Let's look at John 14, verse 15. It says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. At the point of salvation, we actually receive the Holy Spirit to live with us and transform us and be part of who we are. Um, and that's the, the second part of understanding who we are is be transformed by the Spirit. Allow this process to take place. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 and 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I love that. Are you feeling captive in your mind? Is there, is there bondage? Is there, are there chains holding you down? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, this part's important, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So that's a huge part of who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit isn't just a comforter. He isn't just the agent that reveals Scripture to us. He doesn't just convict the world. He's actually here, and part of his role is to transform us, transform us to look more like Jesus and make decisions more like Jesus would make those decisions. Number two, submit your thoughts to the Lordship of Jesus and to the guidance of the Spirit that we're speaking about. It's an, it's an action. It's something that we get to choose to do. God doesn't take away our free will. He always gives us the option, you know, and we have a responsibility to allow this to happen or to deny it. And if you allow it to happen, His Spirit will convict us. Allow Him in. Allow Jesus into your thoughts. Um, he will mold and He will shape your thoughts. Are you trying to cope with life alone? I think probably most of us are guilty of this. We, you know, we encounter a situation and we, we use that framework rather than allowing Jesus to, to dictate to us. We use this framework. We say, well, when I was a kid, you know, I was mistreated or I grew up in a really tough family and this starts to form your decisions. You know? And we start to try and cope with ourselves. We rely too much on that framework and not enough on Jesus and we don't rely enough on the spirit that's within us to actually guide us and show us, the, show us the way, you know? Number three is read your Bible. This is so simple. There's that, there's that little song that a lot of us used to sing when we were kids. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. It really is simple. Um, but if you think about it, reading the Bible actually gives you a huge database of truth to draw from when you're trying to make decisions in your life. Um, think about Proverbs. Proverbs is just full of wisdom from the beginning to the end. The more you put that stuff in, the more you read your Bible, the more truth you pull out of the Bible, the stronger that framework is going to get. 
and you're going to reinforce positive biblical wisdom. You're going to reinforce that thing, and your decisions are going to change. I know Danae and I, we, we don't like to make too many decisions just on a whim. Um, we're quite spontaneous, but it's often through prayer. It's often through our say, like, what, I don't know, what do you think? Like, what do you think? Do you think this is like something that is wise? Are we making a wise decision before we bought a car? You know, we rented a car for a while, and then we're like, man, this is expensive. We could be putting this money into buying a car. And we thought about it a lot, and, and eventually we were like, the wise decision would be to buy a car for us. We want to be here. We're planted here. We're growing here. We're producing fruit in this community. Having a car is going to help with that. Um, yeah. So the Bible, read that thing. Number four, pray. Pray to and spend time with God. Build an actual relationship with Him. You know, this is what this is all about. When Adam and Eve sinned, that's what happened. The relationship between him, uh, between God and Adam and Eve was severed. You know, God can't allow anything that isn't perfect into his presence. And they were cast out of the garden. And Jesus came to rectify that situation. He came so that we could have that relationship. And then we don't have a relationship with God. The whole reason that Jesus came was to rectify that. And we don't, we don't live this relationship. We come on a Friday, or maybe we go to open lounge, and we think, phew, I've ticked the boxes. This is great. But God's like, no, he wants so much more from us. He wants to live in community with us. If you think about who Jesus is, you think about who God is, and you think about the Holy Spirit, three people, three in one. God is three in one. And that's how it's always been. God himself is community. He's all about um, relationship. Even the word university, unity through diversity. This is, this is a relationship. Everything about Christianity is relationship-based. Um, and, and that takes me to my next point. Get into a good community. You know, one of, the, one of the preachers that we heard from this Grow series was grow where you're planted. I think all of us can testify that we've experienced growth through community. You know, I think of Ryan and Lauren, or sorry, there's Ryan and Lauren. I think of when we became friends with them, we started to grow in that community. Ryan and Natalie, you know, they, we've seen the fruit of community in their lives. I mean, there's so many people around you that, that they'll say, yeah, totally agree. I don't think very many of you will say, don't get into community. Bad idea. You know, they want to know stuff about you and they want to get into your life. And I mean, if you're super selfish, maybe you would say that, but I highly doubt that's the case. Community is so important. You begin to think like the people that you surround yourself with. Get into good community, get into a good church. You start to think like them. Their, their decisions that you see them making, you go, wow, man, that guy, where does he get that wisdom from? He really knows what he's talking about. It starts to rub off on you. You start to think, man, this is making sense. All right, number six, forgiveness. I'm actually almost done. This is amazing. Um, yeah, forgive. The Bible is full of forgiveness. The gospel is centered on it. It is the key that unlocks God's love for us. Um, or that loving relationship. But that is the key that unlocks it, forgiveness. The forgiveness that we now walk in through Jesus' death and resurrection is so central to the gospel. And yet some of us don't forgive. Some of us hold on to things. Some of us live our lives. We, we, we're not forgiving something that happened when we were five years old. That's poison in your mind. It is, it is part of that framework. It's part of your mind until you actually choose to let go of it. it it's... It, impacts you in more ways than you know. The decisions you make 
entering into relationships. If you aren't forgiving people from your past and you have a new relationship coming up or you, you're planning on getting married and, you, and you're holding unforgiveness from way back when, maybe a relationship that didn't work out or you know, maybe a parent that you're holding on to stuff. If you go into marriage with that unforgiveness, you're going to poison certain aspects of your marriage. Look into your mind and be like, man, are there little parts of that framework that are toxic? Really, that's what it is. It's a, it's a little toxic part. Forgive, let go of that thing. Drop that thing. It's, it's going to set you free. Um, can I have the band up? That's a belief. This is a pretty simple one, and it should come naturally, but sometimes it doesn't. Just think about others. It's amazing how thinking about other people and making decisions that benefit them so often replace thoughts about me. When I think about others, I kind of stop thinking about me for a bit, you know? There's, there's someone we saw in the video earlier. Well, he actually wasn't on the video, but Home of Hope in Sri Lanka um, is led by an amazing couple, Narol and Allison. I think we actually have him coming. Is that right, Ryan? I think so. Anyways, he might be coming to preach. We're trying. Oh, we got a trip going out there. I would advise you guys to go. I went two years ago, and meeting Narol was like, it literally altered my life, because here is a man who has moved to Sri Lanka. He was born there, and he lived in Australia. He left behind a business. He left behind his life to move to Sri Lanka with his wife and start this home for children. It is the most selfless thing you'll ever see. They, he literally... Every decision he makes is towards these people that he, that he is helping. You know, he is totally self-sacrificial. I've never seen anything like it. Everything he does and everything he is is for the benefit of other people. And you know what? He's happy. He's peaceful. He laughs. He tells jokes. He's a big, funny guy, and, and you just love to be around him. It's because he's thinking about other people. How often do you think about other people versus how often do you think about yourself? I'm guilty of this too, you know. We, we think about ourselves so much. It's not a great thing. And lastly, here's my last point, and then we can pray. Enjoy life. <laughs> you know, sometimes people need to be reminded, hey, you can smile. You know, 99% of us in here are super fortunate. We have work. We have a place to stay. We have food in our tummies. In fact, some of us have too much food in our tummies. I know, I'll speak for myself. We have so much around us, and yet we, we complain, you know? We find something to complain about all the time. Just enjoy life, seriously. <laughs> Laugh a bit, like, have fun, you know? Um, you meet people sometimes that are just so serious, and like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Is your default setting a negative one or a positive one? Do you wake up and start cursing the day? Uh, you wake up, oh, so not looking forward to today. Every morning it's the same thing. You wake up, you have to drag yourself out of bed. Do you always seem to be finding things that are wrong with the world? Or wrong with Dubai? Oh, if only Dubai were better at making streets, then I wouldn't have to do a 25-minute U-turn in the morning. It's literally what we have to do. I complain about that. You know, you find things that are wrong with the place you work, or even the person you're married to. You know, some people hold on to these things because their spouse is... I don't know, they're not who they would want them to be. I know Danae doesn't do that, and I don't do that. But, uh, um, allow God in, allow Him to change you. Um, 
mind because renewing is a choice. Renewing your mind is a choice. It's not going to happen by, by itself. The Holy Spirit isn't going to force himself on you. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Jesus is a gentleman. He allows us to make that choice. He allows us to say, you know what, God? You know what, Jesus? I actually want you to come in and change me. I want you to change my heart. I want you to change my thinking. I want you to get rid of those toxic thoughts that are stuck in my framework that I'm, that I'm literally using to judge the world. Let him in. A fully renewed mind is a mind that thinks like the mind of Jesus. So ask yourself this question. If you're wanting to know how to renew your mind, just wake up in the morning and say, am I thinking like Jesus? When you're making decisions, just go, is this a decision that Jesus would make? You'll start to see that, man, your life is going to change. Your mind is going to be renewed um, because you're allowing that to happen. Can we stand?